From the National Training Center in Fort Irwin, this is The Middle of Everywhere, sharing stories about real people and real life at the U.S. Army's Premier Combat Training Center. I'm Cody Kozacek. I mean, you did eventually start to love the guy. How, how could you not? And uh, he just was tremendously inspiring, and he started to inspire everybody about just the incredible fight that this animal had in him. If you've been at Fort Irwin sometime in the past year, you probably already know the special animal wildlife biologist Leanna Aker was just referring to. Who else but Tripod, Fort Irwin's favorite burrow. Since word first spread last summer that a severely injured wild donkey was roaming our corner of the desert, Tripod's story has captivated this town. Part folk hero, part social media star, here he is truly the people's burrow. After months of struggle and against all odds, Tripod is on his way to a full recovery. Today, you will hear his story firsthand from the determined group of professionals who have done all they can to ensure he has a happy ending. And we'll wrap up with another story about the power of perseverance. Our community profile features Victoria Lafine, who recently realized her lifelong dream of becoming a published novelist. But first, here are your news updates. Fort Irwin kicked off the annual fundraising campaign for the Army Emergency Relief Program March 6th. The program is the Army's Emergency Financial Assistance Organization, dedicated to helping the Army take care of its own. Fort Irwin Garrison Commander Colonel Seth Crumrick spoke about the importance of the program at a kickoff breakfast attended by senior leaders. Your hard work will help soldiers, it will help families, it will make Fort Irwin a better place. And look, we serve for one reason, because we want to win the nation's war, but really because we love our soldiers and we love our families. That's why we keep doing this. So this is a great mechanism to show. So let's lead from the front. I want to thank everyone here for coming this morning. God bless you, and lead, train, win. The fundraising campaign will run until May 15th. Last month, Fort Irwin celebrated National African American History Month with an event at the Sandy Basin Community Center. Lieutenant Colonel Lejean Morris, the staff judge advocate for the National Training Center, gave the keynote address. She spoke about the adversity faced by generations of African-American soldiers and how their perseverance paved the way for soldiers today. It's like we serve during a time of like great appreciation. Like everywhere we go, people try to buy our food. They try to do this. They try to, you know, just really take care of us and really show us that they appreciate us. And they did not get that. They were not, I mean, they were spit on. They were called bad names. They were beaten. They were court-martialed for no good reason. And, um, and that's not something that we have to face anymore in the Army. And it's because people like them persevered through it. So I think that probably inspired me the most. Also last month, 28 soldiers from the 916th Support Brigade joined the ranks of the Non-Commissioned Officer Corps. At an induction ceremony for the new sergeants, 916th Command Sergeant Major Jesse C. Harris Jr. said it was important to pass the values and traditions of the Corps to the next generation. What I want these non-commissioned officers, these new inductees to know and understand is that we are here to take care of soldiers, and we have to ensure that we are prepared to do those things. And I think back to my time as a junior non-commissioned officer and the things that were instilled in me, and it was all about taking care of that mission. You take care of your soldiers, and everything else take care of itself. It's a charge taken seriously by the new inductees, including Sergeant Fontavious Fuller of the 2916th Aviation Battalion. 
I'm going to be one of the NCOs that's, I'm always out there leading from the front. I'm always looking out for my soldiers. Like I said, like it says in the creed, I'm going to put their knees above my own. Finally, Fort Irwin's Heavy Armor Roller Derby team held its annual Skate-a-thon March 4th to help raise money for team training programs and travel. Incoming team president Elizabeth Tomel-Kaiser encouraged women on post to try out the sport, regardless of their experience level. Like if you want to come out and try it, you just got to come out and try it. Um, a lot of people will say like, oh, like I don't have very good balance or, oh, I don't know if that's for me. And I don't think you really know if it's for you or not until you put skates on and try it out. Um, at least for me, I had never been on four-wheeled skates before when I came out. And a year and a half later, I'm, I'm here and I'm competing and I'm super involved with the team. And so you don't need to come with any experience. You just need to come with a, a good spirit and you'll definitely pick it up quicker than you think so. That wraps up our news today. And now, Tripod. Last June, reports first surfaced that a wild burrow was hanging around Fort Irwin. That in and of itself is perfectly normal. Herds of wild burrows, the descendants of domestic pack animals set loose in the desert, frequently roam our streets. But Tripod was different. He had a severely broken leg, and he quickly captured the hearts of residents here. But he eluded capture himself for months. How did he do it? How was he finally brought in? And how is he doing now? Last week, I sat down in the studio with his rescue team to find out. Joining me was Leanna Aker, a wildlife biologist with the Fort Irwin Director of Public Works, Major Nikki Lacer, an OR nurse at Weed Army Community Hospital who has adopted Tripod, and Captain Leah Ramey, a veterinarian here at Fort Irwin. Uh, thank you all for being here. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure everyone's really excited to hear the behind-the-scenes story of Tripod's rescue. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Leanna, to start with you, when did you first hear about Tripod um, and that there was this injured burrow at Fort Irwin? Uh, yeah, so uh, natural resources, we do wildlife calls, typically, and so we respond to animals that are injured or orphaned, you know, all around the installation. And um, so we responded, and sure enough, here's this donkey with this leg just horrendous. I mean, probably the worst break that I've ever seen while the animal is still standing up. And uh, our, our first intent, like you just kind of think of when it's a horse-type animal, is like, oh, we're going to have to put him down. So he made it pretty clear right away that he didn't really have much intention of being put down. So... <laughs> So we got a bunch of folks together and started started monitoring him. And the folks on Garrison, you know, the, the public really helped tremendously with that because they kind of kept tabs. And then the whole Facebook thing started, and people were just constantly, you know, posting his location, which was very convenient because we didn't have to send a biologist out to monitor him. Right. Then we spent the next, you know, year trying to get a hold of Tripod. <laughs> Right, so you couldn't capture him at first. Nope. So it was a challenge. Um, how did you go about that? Well, do you want to hear about all the attempts? Because yes. <laughs> they're all pretty interesting. Yeah. How much time Sounds do you good. have? You want to hear uh, all the attempts. They're pretty cute. Um, yeah, well, after it became apparent that the biologist group was just not going to be able to get a hold of this guy, then we dragged Captain Ramey into it and uh, asked her for assistance. So, um, and about that same time, our attitude about whether or not he should be put down started to change a little bit because it was just so obvious that 
when he wanted to, he could move like a racehorse. The team had a small, dark pistol they hoped they could use to sedate Tripod long enough to assess his injuries. But as Captain Ramey found out, it wasn't as simple as that. Yeah, so on that attempt, uh, Miss Aker and I went out there. We, we drove our vehicles out, parked, and he was kind of in a housing area. So we loaded up the dart gun. Unfortunately, the, the darts weren't able to hold the amount of medication that we needed to really, truly sedate him. And so we'd already talked about our concerns and that we were going to probably have to dart him three times. And so getting the first one in wasn't too bad because he wasn't truly on to us yet. But as um, he took off and started to go hide and outsmart us, we realized our job was going to be much harder. So... Uh, we weren't able to get the second shot in. I was running through housing <laughs> with a loaded dart gun and a stethoscope, and I'm surprised the MPs weren't called, because I'm sure there were mothers that were a bit distraught. <laughs> anyway, so we we did get a couple opportunities that we could have tried a second shot. Unfortunately, um, there were reasons that we didn't take it, whether there were humans in the area that didn't give a clear sight picture or... Um, in one case, he had a burrow friend that he decided to just stand behind. <laughs> and at that, yes, a burrow shield. So at that point in the 115 degree weather, I decided he wins today. We'll, we'll come back again another time. They came back with reinforcements. The, the third attempt, then, then we called in the, the cavalry, so to speak. And we had the BLM uh, out of Ridgecrest, the horse and burrow uh, program guys come down with their horses so we thought okay this time and those guys i mean they're expert ropers and it's like oh no problem we'll get him tripod had other ideas he outran two horses yeah two very 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 fit quarter horses but even after the horse chase the team had a good shot at finally capturing him he was really in perfect position that day he was in the middle of a soccer field all by himself so we, we called everybody in, Captain Ramey, I arrived, and a couple of other people. And uh, we then tried to get a hold of, a, uh, or get a couple of darts into him by way of, by that time we had a better dart gun. So we had a larger volume of medication that we were able to get into him if we could get a shot. And uh, so we approached him in a vehicle, in one of our natural resources vehicles. And uh, I got one shot off. But unfortunately, uh, the dart just kind of fell apart mid-flight. I don't even know why. And it veered off to the left. And it would have been a, a great shot, and it would have been the end of the story. But after that, he was like, okay, now not only do I have to worry about you two-legged people coming up on me on the ground, but now vehicles I've got to keep an eye on, too. So every attempt, he just learned more and more about how to avoid us and it became harder and harder to get a hold of them. At this point, everyone decided to take a breather. Tripod moved off of Garrison and took refuge at nearby Bicycle Lake. The team kept a watch on him to evaluate how he was doing and if he would pose a risk to the community if he decided to return to post. So from Vet Services perspective, our first concern was, what is the welfare of this animal? We've got an animal with a broken leg, horses and burrows and mules are designed to have all four and so it was a big concern that he was going to be suffering not able to take care of himself and feed himself and was going to be um, picked on and eventually have an untimely death 
So when he wasn't able to be caught initially, we're like, well, okay, you, you've earned a few more days, two weeks, and we'll monitor you. And so Miss Akers' um, personnel were great about keeping track of him and letting us know, hey, he's actually keeping weight on, he's not getting super scrawny, so we think that you know letting him be out there is okay. Our problem and our secondary concern once he was doing so well, which was great, um, was twofold in that now he's decided that garrison's his home, and so he posed a risk to the people. And some of that being um, the population out here might not have been very educated on what things are safe to do with wild animals. And although the borough population out here seems very docile, they're still very dangerous and they're very wild. And so our concern was here they see this herd animal and now, you know, being a good Samaritan, you want to go help the borough, which your heart's in the right place, but safety-wise, it's not a good move. And the secondary issue was now you've got an animal that can't get around very well. It gets very dark out here in the desert. Is someone going to accidentally hit him? And as much as I care about the borough, I care about human life even more. Are we going to have humans that are injured in that? So when Tripod decided he had a will to live, we wanted to accommodate, but we had to have him accommodate, accommodated somewhere besides Garrison. So he either needed to be caught or he needed to move out. So, <laughs> Yeah, and maybe we can take a quick segue into, um, Liana, you were talking about the proper etiquette for how we, we have a large borough population here at Borderwind. Yeah. How do you deal with that safely? Yeah, yeah, this is yeah a perfect time to, to talk about that. So uh, as Captain Ramey said, they, they appear quite docile. In some cases, you can get very close to them. And uh, their signals, I mean, I've learned just by way of having a horse and then getting a burrow, uh, the signals are very different from horses. Horses, at least to me, it's quite obvious when a horse is getting annoyed at you or, th or you know, thinking about threatening you or something like that. And these donkeys, not so much. You know, they, they kind of decide very quickly that they're going to become obstinate and, you know, and they can get very dangerous very quickly uh, with, with no apparent signs. So... I always caution people that even though they're beautiful and you want to approach them and take pictures and stuff, you have to keep your own safety in mind, especially that of your kids and your dogs. Uh, burrows, and sorry, I use the terms donkey and burrow interchangeably, but um, they really don't like dogs of any kind. Uh, many people, in fact, get burrows on their property in order to uh, protect other livestock against coyotes because they're kind of like a big watchdog, and they will go after a dog uh, with intent to kill if, if they can. So um, like you were saying, you're out walking your dog. If you see burrows, please turn around and go the other way because your dog is very likely to get hurt uh, if he tries to interact with the burrows. And then probably uh, the biggest threat is what Captain Ramey mentioned, um, vehicle impacts. They're getting more and more frequent uh, since I've been here about nine years. And, and uh, as the population grows, uh, we're getting more and more interaction on garrison between vehicles and donkeys. And it doesn't end well for the donkeys. Uh, thank goodness we have, we've had no people injured, but, you know, lots of vehicles injured. But 
and unfortunately, there's not a whole lot you can do to prevent this besides just, you know, keeping people aware. The boroughs don't seem to have any respect whatsoever for the roads or vehicles, and they'll just hop, hop out on the road. Even if there's a car bearing down on them, they'll, they'll just walk across the road nonchalantly. Uh, so they're very dangerous in the roadways as well. So as, as far as approaching, yeah, just, you know, don't. Right before the holidays, Tripod did return. Workers at Fort Irwin's landfill spotted him wandering the area. They called Leanna. This time I was a little more prepared and I kind of quickly got a little army of people together. And uh, we again went out to try and dart him. And we did get one good full dose into him. And he looked like, oh, he's going to go down, he's going to go down. He started weaving a little bit. Well, some other males that he was with decided to take that opportunity to start harassing him. And the drug wore off and he was off again running across the landfill. So we followed him and we had, we made sure we had plenty of drugs with us. <laughs> yes. And uh, so we thought, okay, you know, we'll just have, we'll just keep following him until we can get another shot. And very, very, very fortunately, he managed to trap himself in a three-sided fenced-in area. So we took all the vehicles that we had and we we lined them up on the one open side and then kind of got out and decided what we were going to do. We were able to get a, another dart into him, and it still didn't phase him. So then we went to plan X or Z or whatever it was by that point. <laughs> and we came back, and fortunately, we had uh, at Natural Resources a big supply of um, portable cattle gates, cattle, you know, corral mm -hmm. panels. And so I got the guys, we quickly drove back with one of the trucks and we filled up with about 20 of these panels. And they're nice and lightweight. So one person can carry a single panel pretty easily. So then we just decided, you know, we're just gonna corral them in into a smaller and smaller place until we can stand next to them and get this done. With Tripod captured at last, the team still faced a daunting task, helping him recover from his severe injury. That's where Major Nikki Lacer, an OR nurse at Fort Irwin's Weed Army Community Hospital, stepped in. Months earlier, she had volunteered to adopt Tripod. I heard about him probably in July, and I think I, called, I contacted BLM in July, who contacted Leanna. And basically what I said was, hey, if you guys could capture him, I'll try to get him some medical. So that's kind of how it started and then went from, well, we need to capture him, see how he's doing, things like that. And then we're looking at prosthetics and, you know, the hardest part for me was trying to find a vet that would see him after we caught him because a lot of people didn't want to have anything to do with a wild donkey. Right. Yeah. So it was, so that was the hardest part. And I called around and some people laughed at my face, or not at my <laughs> face, but on the phone. Some people didn't even talk to me. Once I said he's a wild burrow with a broken leg, it was like click. <laughs> um, but then I got a hold of Desert Pines up in Vegas and they said, sure, if you guys can get him up here, we'll take a look. And that's kind of where I kind of started. Getting a vet to take a chance on tripod was just the first step. He still had to get to the vet center in Las Vegas, almost three hours away. And again, he had to convince everyone that he was a survivor. Not only when you capture a donkey, you have to figure out how to load him up. <laughs> and, 
and tripod wasn't really fond of going into trailers very often. <laughs> so while we had him kind of in captivity and while we're waiting on um, his immunizations, Coggins blood work, test, Coggins, yeah. things like that, um, we were practicing trying to get him to load up into a trailer. So finally what I did is I started throwing food. His favorite food is alfalfa. <laughs> and he doesn't like the stringy stuff. He likes the actual leafy stuff, okay? Um, picky. He's very picky now. Top shelf. Yes, he's, he's <laughs> very picky. So I started putting that in there, and he'd started slowly going in, which was great. I think it took him like a day to figure out that's where he was going to be. And then before I could even start, when we were getting ready to start getting him up to Vegas, he would start loading up into the trailer before I could even get the alfalfa in. So wow. we had to navigate how to get him out and let me come in. Huh. Um, so he's really smart, um, and he really he tolerates people to a point, and he doesn't really look like to me, and I'm not really good with donkeys yet, but he's teaching me a lot, <laughs> that he doesn't want to hurt anybody. And that's kind of what the vet kind of thought, too, when they were working with him up in Vegas, that he doesn't want to hurt you, but he doesn't want to be hurt himself. Um, and I think that's kind of what warmed, you know, warmed their heart, too, because when, when we first got him up to Vegas, they were like, well, you know, we'll, we'll look at him. These things usually don't work out. You know, we may have to put them down. And then probably by the third day, it was like, you know, <laughs> we, I think we could really plate this and we can actually get it going. And then like the next week was, no, we need to amputate. But either way, it was never putting him down. The put him down was gone like within the third day. The vet settled on surgery to try to save Tripod's broken leg. Major Lacer and Captain Ramey were there to observe. So um, the... Veterinarians out in Las Vegas were able to work with him for a couple weeks, get him better prepared for surgery once that was decided the best route to go for him. And they just needed to make sure he was healthy and then plan how they were going to approach it. So as Major Lacer said, amputation was still not off the table, but their first choice was to try to see if we could get that, that leg plated. So they brought him up into the barn area, gave him some drugs and sedated him, and then carefully navigated him into the surgery suite. And during the very beginning portions of that, they had taken a couple x-rays to kind of redetermine, yes, here's the break that we're dealing with and what, what can we do to manage this? And they still felt like surgery to try to correct that fracture was possible. So during the procedure, they ended up debulking or taking away the bony callus. So whenever we break a bone in our body, our body is naturally designed to try to repair that. And what it does is it lays down a lot of extra bone to strengthen where that weak spot is. In Tripod's case, he had a complete fracture, meaning it went all the way through. So both of the bones, um, the bone there was separated and it was displaced. So because he was trying to survive in the wild, he was putting weight on it and it wasn't stable. So even though the body was trying to heal, he ended up instead of one callus that combined that break together and would hold it in a more natural position, he ended up with a callus on each end of that broken bone. And that's why he continued to have that fractured leg. So the surgeons went in, they cleaned up the bony callus that was there on each end and made fresh edges. And then they inserted a plate and some screws to try to provide stability to that fractured bone. And based on what Major Lacer and I were able to see, we, we were involved in kind of the 
prep work, but we weren't involved in the actual surgery. We were able to watch through a, a window outside and take some pictures and things, which was awesome. The images that they took afterwards, the x-rays or radiographs, looked great. They got some pretty good alignment in there, and as long as he Amazing. doesn't end up with any sort of complications due to his own stubbornness or infection, um, the outcome looks like it's pretty promising right now. We'll have to wait to see, mm -hmm. but all fingers are crossed for sure. Tripod still faces weeks of healing, but for those who know him, there's no doubt he will do everything he can to make a full recovery. But why go to all of this effort, for months on end, to rescue a wild burrow? What was it about Tripod? The people would have it no other way, basically. And you don't um, hate. Yeah, well, I actually, you know, as a biologist, once once he ended up out at Bike Lake, I kind of thought, well, well, problem solved, because my directive was to get him out of garrison uh, because he was just disrupting things so much, and so many people were keeping tabs on him and, and uh, you know, starting to follow him around and everything else. So once he left garrison, I kind of thought, you know what, this guy probably just deserves to live. And then I started consulting with BLM and find out through them that this is not an uncommon occurrence with donkeys. Uh, they actually can apparently do pretty well with severe injuries to one of their legs. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, let's just let them be. But what just consistently struck me time after time is, <laughs> no, I'm gonna choke. I mean, you did eventually start to love the guy. How, how could you not? And uh, he just was tremendously inspiring, and he started to inspire everybody about just the incredible fight that this animal had in him. As for what's next for Tripod and Major Lacer? Well, right now, the game plan is I want to, I want to keep him close to his vet in Vegas, because if, even after recovery, it's probably going to take him six to nine months to really be okay. And I just, if something were to happen, I want him kind of close to the vet, so that way they know what they did. We're not going through anything. So he'll probably stay in Vegas probably until, he might come home for a little bit if I can swing it before, but probably around May I'll, I'll PCS to Colorado and he'll stay in Vegas until I come back, which will probably be like the following April. So I have a deployment there and I thought it'd be best just to keep him right there. A GoFundMe site has been established to help defray the costs of Tripod's medical treatment. Anyone interested in donating can contact Captain Cheryl Lazat, a nurse at Weed Army Community Hospital. Our community profile this episode also deals with determination and grit. Victoria Lafine is an author and military spouse. She began writing in grade school, and last September she published her first novel, Wicker Hill. Set on an island, the book follows a group of vacationing friends who soon discover that secrets are lurking beneath the surface of the resort in the form of an old military base. There's those elements of thrill, those elements of adventure that are not so far outstretched that this could actually happen. After a reading and book signing at the Fort Irwin Library last fall, I sat down with Lafine in Jackrabbit Park to talk about writing and her journey to becoming a published novelist. The idea came from a nightmare I actually had, and uh, the nightmare played like a movie in my head so that when I woke up from it, I could remember it and remember 
remembering it, I wrote down a small synopsis of what happened in that dream, thinking that it could maybe become a story. Not not necessarily like a novel, but uh, it's matured in that way. You know, a lot of women have addiction to shoes or purses. Mine's notebooks, and I just have tons and tons of notebooks in the bedroom, in my office, on the bookshelf. And the synopsis sat in that book for uh, probably four to six months before I started. Oh, let's let's see if I can turn this into a short story. And then as I'm writing, the short story just kept on getting longer and lo- longer, adding more characters, adding more elements, adding a lot more depth and description to it. And uh, it turned into the novel that it is. Um, But I didn't start looking for publishing agencies until I finished the hard copy of writing it. But even with a finished manuscript, Lafine says she didn't really believe the book was real until she was holding it in her hands. Well, uh, my publishing agency was uh, sending me a proof of my completed book. Um, to make sure that everything looked fine, the cover was good, the interior was fine. And I received my book in the mail, and my husband handed it to me, and he's in the living room taping a little video on his phone. And I open the cardboard, and my book comes out, and I'm holding it in my hand. And the only thing that I could say, and, you know, I get crackly, and, and I started to cry... But I just kept on saying, it's my book. It, it, it's my book. This is my book. And uh, that's when I realized that I am holding my dream in my hand. Writing a novel is a major undertaking. I asked Lafine what kept her motivated through the process and if she ever had any doubts. All the time, I still deal, I deal with it now because I, I like worry that you know people are going to buy the book and I'm like, are they going to like it? Or are they going to find the mistakes? Or is it really a good story? I mean, I still do that now. And um, I'd have to say that my husband was the one who gave me the encouragement and the support to kind of keep on going. He's like, I don't read but this is a good story, and you have a talent that I want you to keep on going after. He's like, I don't want you to stop because of insecurities or worries. He's like, just keep on going. Her advice to others? In life, you're going to hit stops. You're going to have to turn around, or health stops you, or... uh, a life changes where you have children or you get married, um, but always keep that dream in your mind and don't stop working on it. It's very strange for me to say it, but I'm very proud to say it, that I am proof that a dream can come true. And um, I hold mine every day, and um, it is a surreal feeling. Lafine is currently working on a sequel to Wicker Hill, as well as several other book projects. Thank you so much for listening in to our show today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe for free to the Middle of Everywhere podcast, available through iTunes and Google Play. The Middle of Everywhere is a production of the NTC and Fort Irwin Public Affairs Office for informational purposes. 
It does not represent any endorsement, implied or actual, by the Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, Fort Irwin, or the National Training Center.